Well, good morning again, church. It is so good to see all of you this morning. Again, want to welcome those that are with us online, as well as those who are maybe here for the very first time. I've seen a number of guests here in the door. I already got to meet some first-time guests this morning, so we're just so glad that you're here and able to be a part of things this morning. Before we dive into the message, I love playing games. Like That's one of the things I love doing, and I found this new game. It's called an emoji game, and so I want some help with this. And so I need you to shout out. When you know what it is, got to shout it out really quick. What is this? All right, what is this? Awesome. Next one. Go Bears. Whatever. I shut up. You shut up. The Bears are awful. We're going to lose this game, but whatever. I'm a Bears fan. I'm from Chicago. You know, sue me. All right. <laughs> we are continuing. Take that off. That's enough of that. We're continuing in this series that we have been in for the last several weeks, Kingdom Living, as we are walking through the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most important teachings Jesus ever gave. And Jesus is answering the question in this series, what does it look like to live under the rule and the reign of God? What does it look like to live in his kingdom? All right? And, uh, and so I, I really think this is a challenging. If you missed last Sunday's message, I would encourage you to go back and watch it. It was one of those messages. I know there was a lot of things going on. There were some people that were gone last week. Uh, it was a challenging message that we are salt and light. And what does that actually mean? And we got to hear a story from Erica Earhart, someone who is a part of our congregation, share a story about a guy named Richard. All right? And if you, if you didn't hear the story, you need to hear the story because I think it can inspire you in your life in purpose. There is purpose for every moment of your life, all right? But this morning, we're going to dig in deeply again. Uh, some of you can relate to this. When I was growing up, faith felt like it was a little bit about just trying to keep the rules. Like it was a little bit of like, I just, I got things I got to do and things that I don't do. Can anybody relate to that, that your faith kind of felt a little bit like that growing up, all right? I think some of us can do that. And, and the goal is like, I just got to be a good Christian. I got to do the right things and make sure I'm being a good, good little Christian. And I think for, for many of us, and I've heard this phrase many times before, so I would guess many of you can relate. There's this phrase that a lot of us probably resonate with, and it's this. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. How many of you have ever heard that phrase before? Right? You've said, maybe you've even said that before. Yeah, I love It's not about religion. It's about relationship. And I would say this. When understood the right way, this is absolutely true. Okay? God's desire isn't heartless, ritualistic, observant. His desire is heartfelt devotion to his lordship. But here's a problem. This phrase can often be used in relationship to another term, and that term is righteousness. Righteousness. So we use this phrase, when come, somebody comes and challenges us, maybe they challenge our behavior, they challenge our faith, they challenge the decisions we're making, they challenge the way we're living, we are very, very quick to throw off the bondages of legalistic righteousness and say, no, 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 it's not about religion, it's about relationship, right? So you don't, no, no, don't call me out on it. No, no, I'm living out this relationship. It's just me and Jesus. Back off. Get away. And then we'll quote verses like what the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, where he says this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. I'm not going to be burdened by this religious stuff. No, no, I have relationship with Jesus. That's what I have freedom. You don't have to, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me how to live. But over and over again, Jesus has something to say about this. He's going to meddle with us a bit today. He's going to challenge us a little bit today. And the tension we're going to wrestle with today is this. Where does righteousness fit into the gospel? Where does righteousness 
fit into the gospel. Jesus is going to get both theological and practical in the text we're going to look at today. And he's going to talk a little bit about scripture. So we're going to get a little heady here having to deal with some stuff having to do with scripture. But then he digs into this concept of righteousness. And I think we must heed Jesus' words because they could have eternal consequences in our life. Okay? If you got your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 5? Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse number 17. As you're turning there, remember we're in our New Testament reading plan. And so if you haven't jumped in already or if you've gotten a little off course, jump back in. Go to our website. It's right on the homepage of our website. Would you stand with me? So we're going to read our primary text here this morning. If you're a first, first-time guest here, hey, there's nothing sacred about us standing. It's just our tradition to say, God, we value your word more than my words. And we stand when we read our primary text. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, says this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you that you do want to speak to us today. God, my prayer is today that we wouldn't just uh, listen to this message, but that we would hear your voice speak to us today. Holy Spirit, speak to every single one of us. Make this message personal to where we're at. We don't want to just walk out of this place the same, God. We want to be transformed by your word. And so speak to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever been asked a question that you know isn't actually a question? Yes. I'm saying, like husbands, you'll, you'll understand this. Husbands, you, has your wife ever said, are you going to wear that? I mean, no, that's not a question. <laughs> you better change what you're wearing right now, you know? Or maybe have you ever had that moment when you've been asked a question, but you know there's a question behind the question, right? You ever had somebody like, yeah, I got a night free. I got nothing going on tonight. And then somebody comes and says, hey, what you doing tonight? You're like, oh no, I better come up with something quick or I'm going to have to do whatever they're about to ask me to do, right? Like, and, and, and there's other times, though, I think, and I've experienced this, there's other times when people have a question, but nobody's willing to actually ask it. Like, everybody's just dancing around. You're like, it's like, just ask the question. We know what you want to know. Like, but nobody's willing to ask the question, and I think that's actually what's going on in the text here. Jesus is clearly about to confront something that people are thinking. Now, we don't know if anybody's actually asking, but clearly it's been thought of. And Jesus senses that in the group. And so we get to the context of the passage we're looking at here. And remember, Jesus is teaching all this stuff. He's walking through the Sermon on Mount. There's all this new teaching. And it's just like blowing people's minds. It's amazing. And one of the things that's most interesting about it is at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says the people were amazed. Why? Because Jesus taught as one with authority. What do they mean by that? Jesus was a rabbi. And here's what rabbis usually did. They would go and they would leverage the authority of the rabbis they learned from. So when I teach you something, I say, as rabbi, famous guy said, and then quote that rabbi. That's where they, they leverage the authority of people above them. We do that in writing. If you read a book, a lot of times they're, they're citing all of these other sources and these other resources. But Jesus didn't do that. 
Jesus leveraged his own authority. He said, no, no, this is what I say. And it was mind-blowing to them. It's overwhelming to them. But much of what Jesus was teaching feels to them, it feels in conflict with their traditions and their understanding of the Old Testament. They're wrestling with this. And they're beginning to ask, and I'm sure they're asking questions, what is Jesus, are you saying we need to throw out all this old stuff and just bring in the new? Like, what are you really saying here, Jesus? And I think this moment as Jesus talks uh, to this crowd, I think it's really important for us in our understanding of scripture because there's a question that still exists today that believers wrestle with, and it's this. How do we approach the Old Testament? How do we approach the Old Testament? I would guess that in a room like this, there's plenty of you who are believers. And when I say read the Bible, the only thing you've ever read is your New Testament. Okay, I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands, but I would guess that's the case. Because there's a lot of us, they dig into the Old Testament and we're confused. We're like, I don't even know what's going on here. I don't understand it. It's hard to apply sometimes. I don't have the context for that thing. So I don't even know what it's trying to say. So let's just turn to stories about Jesus and let's go to the New Testament because it's a little clear. It's a little easier for us to understand. And that's probably true for most of us, okay? But then what do we do? Because it's really easy to have this disconnect between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And some people even draw a dividing line and say, yeah, that stuff doesn't really matter. Let's only talk about the New Testament. And historically, there have been multiple heresies that refer to the God of the Old Testament as if it is a different God than the God of the New Testament, okay? And so what do we do with this? And Jesus is actually going to dig into this. Now, we don't have time to dive fully into this, so I need you to stick with me for the next few moments, okay? We don't have time to dive into this fully, but I think there's two principles, there's two thoughts that Jesus exposes here that I think are critical for us to understand that we need to take hold of as it pertains to how we approach Scripture and particularly what we do with the Old Testament, all right? If you're taking notes, there's two things here. Number one is this. Don't misunderstand Jesus as desiring to throw out the Old Testament, it's a starting point. Don't misunderstand it because that's what he's confronting. Because they're going to say, what do we do with it? Like, should we just throw all this stuff out? Is that what you're asking? He said, no, no, no. Don't misunderstand Jesus as desiring to throw out the Old Testament. Look at verse number 17. Starting words. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now stop there for a second. What does he mean by law of the prophets? The law, he's talking about the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. The prophets basically encompasses everything else. When you hear law or prophets, what you need to hear is Old Testament. Their law and prophets is our understanding of the Old Testament. That's what he's talking about here. Jesus saying this, do not think I have come to abolish, to throw out. We're done with the Old Testament. No, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Notice this word fulfill. This is an important word. We're gonna come back to that in just a couple of minutes, okay? But he goes on in verse number 18, and it says this, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law. Stop there for a second. You're like, law? But he said law and prophets before. Is he, is he changing it here? No. Oftentimes Jesus will refer to law and prophets or law, both of those encompassing the same understanding of Old Testament. Not by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So he starts with this phrase, until heaven and earth disappear. We have a phrase just like this, until heaven and earth disappear. What is that phrase? When hell freezes over. You ever heard that phrase before, right? Yeah, what does that mean? It ain't ever happening, right? It's, it's don't even worry about it. We're a long ways from there, okay? And this is what Jesus is saying here. Like, until heaven and earth, this is, this is something that's gonna endure. It's gonna last. We're not throwing this thing out. This is something that will last. 
And there's literally no greater affirmation Jesus could make for the Old Testament than this moment right here. In fact, over the last couple of weeks, I was reading a number of biblical scholars, some of those not even believing biblical scholars, secular biblical scholars, and they're reading and say, you know what, however you dice this, however you slice this thing, there's literally no greater affirmation Jesus could have given to the Old Testament than this moment right here. And so, so what does that mean for us? We, we have to recognize that Jesus isn't saying we're going to throw this thing out, which makes sense because throughout the rest of Scripture, it points to the importance, okay? What do we get? We go into the Old Testament, books like the, like the Psalms. Over and over and over in the Psalms, it talks about the value of the Word of God. And when it's talking about the Word of God, what is it talking about? Primarily about the Torah, but also talking about the rest of the Old Testament and many of these scriptures. You go to Psalm 119. It's like an entire chapter just simply talking about the value of the Word of God over and over and over and over and over again. Okay? Then we get into the New Testament. And we have the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul talking to one of the, his you know, pupils that he's pouring his life into. He's speaking to them. And he says it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says this, But as for you, Timothy, he's talking to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know uh, those from whom you learned it and how from infancy, infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. Stop there for a second. What does he mean when he says Holy Scriptures? The only thing they have then is the Old Testament. It's all they got. Talking about the law and the prophets at that point in time. Okay. Have known as the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, which is interesting. We're going to get to that in a moment. Go to the next verse, and it says this. All Scripture, again, what are we talking about? Old Testament, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All right? So we got the Old Testament, the New Testament, but Jesus says it over and over again. Not only did he say what he said in, in Matthew chapter 5, but one chapter earlier, he's encountering the devil. It's the temptation where Jesus comes face to face with the devil. And what does Jesus quote over and over and over and over again? Scripture. The crazy thing is, he is the living word. Jesus, the living word, the living logos. He is the living word. He stands on his own authority. He could just simply say whatever he wanted to because that is firm enough. That's enough authority. But what does he do over and over again? He points back to the written word of God. That's what he quotes over and over in the face of the enemy. He says that the word of God, it's as if it becomes this protection, this stronghold that he runs to in times when the, the devil is coming up against him. And so what does that mean for us? Don't misunderstand Jesus as desiring to throw out the Old Testament, okay? We still got to wrestle with this. We can't just toss it out. And I will say this. Does that mean that we've got every question answered? Nope. Anybody else have Moments where they struggle, moments where they wrestle. What is one of our core values? We embrace the struggle. We don't say, oh, let's just hide that. No, it's okay. Guess what? I don't know is an appropriate answer sometimes. When it comes to certain things in the Old Testament, I struggle with it. I wrestle with it, right? But here's the deal. I can't throw it out because Jesus said, I'm not here to abolish the law. I'm here to fulfill them. We'll talk about that here in a moment, all right? So we go on. Uh, point number two, though, is this, that we must approach the Old Testament in light of Jesus, how many of you know uh, that when you have a kid or you get a dog, your life changes? Let me know that. Okay. Everybody get it, right? Doesn't matter. You have a kid, you get a dog, suddenly everything changes. You're thinking about things you never thought about before, right? You're like packing stuff away, protecting things, like right? Because they mess stuff up. That's just what happens. And I'm not saying Jesus is like a dog, but it's, it's like that, okay? Here's the deal. When, when Jesus comes on the scene, everything changes. And suddenly we have to live in light of that. 
approach the Old Testament in light of Jesus. Look what it says back in verse number 17 where it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. I said that word fulfill is an important word. What does fulfill mean? It means to fill up or to make complete. What Jesus was saying is that the whole Old Testament was leading to me. Like it's pointing to me. It finds its fulfillment in me. I am this fulfillment that we've been waiting for. Remember, you think about it. When it comes to the prophetic, absolutely. What? Jesus is saying, listen, I am the seed of Adam. I am the sacrificial lamb. I am the suffering servant. I am the Messiah who's to come. I am the conquering king seated on the throne. That's who I am. I am the fulfillment of these things. But more than that, Jesus is saying this. My teaching, in a sense, brings a complete picture to the Old Testament. It fills it up. It makes it complete. And so when we look at Jesus' teaching, it helps lead these people further toward truth. And this is a massive claim that Jesus is making. Because think about it for, the sec for a second. The listeners, who are the listeners that Jesus is talking to? They're all Jews. From the moment they were a child, they were taught the Jewish customs the Jewish way, follow the Jew, all this. They knew the Torah. Many of them memorized the Torah. They understood all this thing. And Jesus is literally saying, everything that your life has been about is actually found in me. It's fulfilled in me. It's been pointing to me. It's not just that Jesus is claiming that his teaching is important. Jesus is actually claiming the spotlight in this moment. Saying it's all about me. Look to me. Find your fulfillment in me. We must approach the Old Testament in light of him. Right? It's a practical step for every single one of us. And one of my, uh, one of my favorite books on preaching is written by Timothy Keller. Uh, it's a book on preaching. And one of the things that he says, and I love this, it's really transformed a lot of the ways when I look at scripture. It's this. He said, if you haven't got to Jesus or the gospel, you're not done studying. And that's not just a New Testament tip. When we go to the Old Testament, he said, listen, go to the Old Testament, go, I'm there. This whole thing pointed to me. And so when we approach scripture, I approach it, I'm saying, God, where is your gospel found in here? Where are you pointing to, to the, our need for Christ, a revelation of Christ? How is this a shadow of Christ? This thing is pointing us to Jesus over and over and over because at the end, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all to the glory of God the Father, all right? All right, so turn to your neighbor and say, why does this matter, okay? <laughs> Glad you asked that question. That's a great question to ask everyone. I'm really... You're like, what are we doing here, Greg? You're kind of going on about this stuff. Hear this. Jesus is going to confront ideas from the Old Testament in the next two weeks. Okay, next Sunday and the Sunday after that, he's going to approach a lot of things that are referenced in the Old Testament, okay? And as the early church father Chrysostom said, Jesus isn't going to repeal the Old Testament. He's not going to pull it back as some people think, like he's just being soft and all oh, that's the old, oh, that's the harsh stuff. No, no, no. I'm going to make this a little softer. No, Jesus is going to draw them out. He's going to fill them up. He's going to bring completion to the teaching. 
that, that we understand the depth of who our God is and what he's calling and expecting of us. And I know the next two weeks are going to be really, there's some, some of these passages that a lot of us get uncomfortable by. We're going to wrestle with those over the next two weeks. So make sure you're here for those, okay? But with the remainder of our time, I want to dig into the last two verses here, verses 19 and 20, because I think this is what Jesus is really trying to get to in this moment. And I think it's very practical for us as, the, as we walk away. Now, when it comes to our New Testament faith, right? We're New Testament believers, New Testament faith. We love to go to the Apostle Paul, right? And you like reading Ephesians, like reading Philippians, right? They're just encouraging letters. They just lift us up. We love to go to those things. We love them. They just feel encouraging. They lift us up in some way. You know, we go to Romans Road, right? For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. God's eternal life of Jesus Christ our Lord, right? If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Lord, believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We love these kind of texts, right? We love them. We love the freedom passages like I preached earlier. Galatians chapter one, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. We love all of those passages because they feel good and they feel a little soft on us. And it's easy to migrate toward these passages that talk about what we believe rather than the passages that have expectations for what we do. Okay? Here's the issue. We call ourselves Christians. You know what Christians mean? Little Christ. That's why they were called Christians. Okay? And so we call ourselves followers of Jesus, but we don't listen to what Jesus actually says. We say we follow Jesus, but sometimes we only want to listen to Paul. And so this passage paints a very clear picture for us. And so I want to walk through these verses for us real quick. Verse number 19, it says this, Therefore, therefore, in light of what he just said, in light of the fact that we can't, we're not throwing out the Old Testament with its commands, we can't throw those things out. Now, we have to approach them in light of Christ, but we're not simply throwing it out, all right? In light of, therefore... Anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. What's he saying here? Again, you can't simply lay aside the commands of God. You can't lay aside what's written in the Old Testament. We may have to approach it in a different way, but we cannot simply lay aside what was written in the Old Testament, all right? We go on in verse number 20, and it says this. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Does anybody else feel like that's a, that's a challenging verse right there? If you know, have any context to this verse, you're like, that's a challenging verse. And I will say this is one of the more heavily debated verses to say, what is Jesus really trying to say in this passage? And there's lots of different explanations for what that is. I'll give you a few different perspectives that exist out there. One of them is that people will take this verse at face value and basically saying, okay, your righteousness surpasses. It's got to be greater. You got to be more perfect than the Pharisees. Now, you know who the Pharisees were, right? They were the ones who were the best at legalistic righteousness. In terms of following the rules, external legalistic righteousness, nobody was better than the Pharisees. And so if you take this verse at face value, you say, okay, I got to be more righteous than those people. It's like, whoa, that's a lot. Okay, that's one interpretation. Another interpretation would say this, that it's of, of a, a different kind. It means to be of a different kind because the Pharisees were accused very much, and Jesus will say this in the coming verses, they were accused of external righteousness. Like they just did the things out here, but their hearts were far from God. 
And so some would say by surpassing means of another kind, meaning a deeper level, meaning you need to not just have external righteousness, it demands a heart righteousness. And I would say that's true. Like Jesus talks about that on a regular basis. So that's what it means. You gotta have that type of a righteousness if you wanna enter the kingdom of heaven. There's others that would say really the purpose of this is to make you feel like there's nothing I can do. I could never be that good, which forces you to turn to a savior who you desperately need, okay? And I actually think there's a bit of truth in every single one of those perspectives, all right? Now, there's, there's other perspectives that are out there, but I don't even think we have to have the, the complete, full, perfect understanding to, to get a hold of what the basis of what Jesus is saying. The, the simple understanding of this, I think, will suffice, and it's this. What we do matters. What we do matters. A lot of times we get into this whole, this faith thing, and we love the, the gift of God, the gift of God, the gift of God, so I don't got to do nothing, right? I'm just going to receive the gift of God and then carry on with my life and do whatever I want to. The book of James says, yeah, that's not what we're talking about. That's not faith in Jesus. There's a phrase that I use over and over again here, and, uh, and I will continue to use it because I think it's the most simple understanding of what faith really is, and it's this. Faith is belief lived out. Belief lived out. I say it all the time. You can't just have happy thoughts about Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is a cool guy, and I think he's my savior, and that's great, but I'm going to just do whatever the heck I want to. Because Jesus is not inviting us just simply to know he exists, because the book of James says even the demons know he exists, and it does nothing to save them. No, it requires something more. It requires a belief that we actually, if we truly believe he is Lord of all, then our life will prove it. It will be proven. Not to show that we're earning our salvation as a demonstration of the faith that really resides in our heart. See, that's what it looks like. And so with that, there's another phrase I want you to write out, understand here. Maybe you need to write this one down. It's this, that faith in Jesus demands obedience to Jesus. Okay? You want to have your faith in Jesus? You're going to put your faith in Jesus? Great. Then you are going to have to do some things. Like, no, 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 Greg, that's legalistic righteousness. No, 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 no. that's not legalism. That's following Jesus. That's what it looks like. It demands that we do something. And I would even go a step beyond that and say obedience to Jesus in turn demands obedience to his word. What, as he said, we have to respond. We can't simply just say, I'm gonna carry on, do whatever I want to. No, it requires something of us. I wanna to get to our big so what. I always say, so what, what's the point of this thing? If you forget everything else I've shared this morning, I want you to get a hold of this. It's this, righteousness isn't just for the spiritual, but for every believer. Righteousness isn't just for the spiritual, it's for every believer. We can draw a line. Maybe you've never done it verbally, but you've probably done it in your mind before. We can draw a line between normal Christians and spiritual Christians. You know what I'm saying? Those people are like, oh, gosh, they're a little spiritual over there. Like, that's not how I am, you know? We draw the line. And I think here's what we do. We're like, well, the, the majority of us are fairly normal Christians. Like, we just do normal things. But there's those people that go, they're extreme. They're a little radical. They're a little over the top. Right? We can call them, and, and oftentimes we will view this, that, oh, that's the real holiness, that's for those people out there, you know? But, but Jesus would say this, righteousness isn't just for the spiritual. See, we consider a desire for righteousness or holiness or purity, I think sometimes we consider that as abnormal in our modern faith. 
Like, oh, don't be crazy. Don't be over the top. No, that's legalism, right? It's not about religion, Greg. It's not about, don't tell me how to live. No, no, I'm free in Christ. I can do what I want. Like, it's fine. No big deal, Greg. No, I want to say this, and some of you need to hear this. Holiness isn't legalism. Righteousness isn't legalism. Maybe we were raised where we were challenged that way at times. Okay, we were challenged and it felt and it became toxic and it became legalism. But pure holiness as God desires for us is not legalism. That's called pursuing righteousness. That's called listening to what God has to say and following that, doing what he's commanded. That's what it looks like. It's righteousness, not righteousness according to what I think, what's your standard, what's my standard. It's righteousness according to God. And holiness is not radical. Righteousness isn't radical. Pursuing that. Jesus says, that's normal in my kingdom. Pursuing righteousness is normal for my kingdom people. So I think there's two questions that we need to ask. Even before I get there, I just want to go back. What did we talk about in the Beatitudes? Remember the Beatitudes? Blessed are those who what? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Anybody hungry right now? I'm hungry. I ate like four hours ago. But Jesus is saying, yeah, do that for righteousness. Pursue it. Desire it. Crave it. Run after it. And he's saying this. That's not the crazy spiritual people, the -the over-the-top ones that are like make you feel uncomfortable. No, that's what's normal in my kingdom. If you're going to follow me, you got to hunger after those things. Pursue the right thing. Not pursue what the world says. Not even pursue what cultural Christianity says. What do I say? And I'm going to run after that. That's the expectation. Okay? So there's two questions I think every believer needs to ask. First question is this. What does God say? Every time we have an an opportunity to to make a decision, to figure out what we're going to do, the first question we should be asking is, what does God say about this thing? Whatever the thing is, what does God say? And then very important is the second question, which this is the one we don't always ask, is how can I live accordingly? Based on what he has said, what he has spoken, how do I need to live? The reason we don't like to ask that is because usually something's going to have to change. You know what I'm saying? Like every time I ask it, I'm like, shoot, I'm going to need to do something different. Like, I can't act the way I want to. I can't say what I want to say. I can't do what I always naturally want to do. No, I'm going to have to do something different if I'm living in light of what God has already spoken over my life. So what does it mean in your life when it comes to our words? God, what do you say when it comes to our attitude, when it comes to the, just the, the way that we live our lives, the, the way that we interact with other people, our sexuality, our money, our stuff, whatever the thing is, we ask the question, what does God have to say about this thing? And how do I need to live accordingly? Like, how do I need to respond based on what God has already spoken? But hear this. Righteousness, we get in this, this place where righteousness is all about the things you don't do. As Christians, we're really good at, at trying to avoid the bad stuff. Oh, I don't do that. I don't do that. And then we can get self-righteous. I don't do that. I don't drink that. I don't smoke that. I don't go to that place. I don't do those certain things. I don't do any of those kind of things. I'm holy, right? But what about the things Jesus has called us to do? That's righteousness as well. It's not righteous according to what you don't do. It's righteous according to what God is asking of us. And what is he asking of us? To selflessly love and care for others. To care for the orphan and the widow. 
to give selflessly, to give sacrificially, to live generously with what we have, not to withhold, but to have an open arms and say, God, I'm here to give, not to receive. I'm here to make an, an impact in other people's life. It's not just all about my life and my kingdom. No, it's God, it's all about your kingdom. That's what, it, that's what righteousness is. It's right living that way that we would do the things and we would not do the things, whatever it is. God, whatever you have said, whatever you ask, we go through the Sermon on the Mount. God, whatever you're saying to me here, all right, how do I live accordingly? Based on what you have spoken, that's what we're challenged. That's what righteousness looks like. And so we come to the gospel as we wrap our time up here this morning. The gospel, I love the gospel. The good news of what God has done and is doing in the world through Christ. I love it. And, and the beautiful part of the gospel is that, that we are all in the same boat, right? Uh, raise your hand if you're a sinner out there. If you got your hand down, you're a sinner because you just lied. Like we're all in the same, but the good news of the gospel is we're all in the same boat apart from Christ. Every single one of us is death. There's nothing we could do to clean ourselves up. There's no way I can be righteous enough so that God can say, yep, come on into heaven because you're so good. Everybody else is horrible, but you're amazing. And I'm gonna let you in because you're so great. No, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's why the gospel is good news. For us who are caught in the same place, we have been given a lifeline through Christ by putting our faith in Christ, we get to receive new life, the gift of salvation, what we don't earn, what we could not earn, we receive in Christ by placing our faith in Him. It's eternity, both now and forever. It's eternal relationship with our Creator, God. It's the good news of the kingdom of God. We get invited because of Him. There's some of you here this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity in a moment to respond. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Christ. But here's what you have to understand. The gift of the gospel is accompanied by the demands of the gospel. And what is the demand of the gospel? Jesus said it. If anybody wants to come after me, die. Lay down your life. Surrender. Take up your cross and follow me. That's the words of Jesus. We have to die to ourselves. It's humble submission before the king of all creation. It isn't just, I'm going to receive a gift and I'm going to carry on as I want to know. By receiving this gift, I'm saying, God, I am yours completely. I submit myself to your lordship, to your authority in my life. Whether I like it or not, God, I am here to, to give everything to you. I'm going to do it the way you ask. And I'm going to ask every question, God, what have you said and how can I live accordingly? And I'm going to fail and I'm going to make mistakes. And the good news is that the grace of God is still available for us in those moments. His mercies are new every morning. But the trajectory of my life is one of submission to my king. See, we go back to the Apostle Paul. And we love Paul, all those, the good, oh, you're a child of God. And you're, you know, just all who you are in Christ, all this stuff. It's really, really good. But almost all those letters that Paul wrote, he'd also get and start meddling with the believers. He'd say, listen, y'all, you say you believe this. It better show up in your lives. It better show up in the way you're living. Because you, you're, you're saying one thing and living a totally different way. It's as if you're spitting on the cross of Christ. And he calls him to another level. And so I'm here this morning, not because this is like the fun message that I want to bring. I'm here because it's what Jesus asks of us. I'm here saying he's calling us to another level. To not simply just take for granted the grace of Christ, but to take advantage of the opportunity to live a new way. For his glory in his kingdom under his authority. 
And so I want to get to our challenge. And uh, we've got a challenge every week, but this week's challenge is just this. Pray for greater conviction instead of accepting a, cal- a callous heart. Pray for greater conviction instead of accepting a callous heart. What do I mean? Uh, some of you have been following Jesus for a while, I guess. If I did a little survey, there's some of you that have been following Jesus for six months, or some of you have been following Jesus for 10 years. Some of you have probably been serving Jesus for 30, 40, 50 years, right? Here's what can happen when we follow Jesus, is in time, things where we had a conviction, we can suddenly get numb to. I started lifting weights, I told you, like a month ago. Guess what I got on my hands? Calluses, right here. This is dead right here. You could stick a pin in that thing, I wouldn't feel it. Why? Because I did the same thing over and over and over again, and it's starting to kill it. Here's what happens in our lives, is that we develop calluses when the the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction and we consistently say no and we do our own thing. And the first time you do it, you'll feel the conviction. The next time you say, yep, I feel the conviction. But in time, we can develop a callus in that area of our lives. And what once was tender, what once was something we were responsive to, the Holy Spirit, suddenly we find ourselves not even, I don't even have a problem saying no anymore. I don't even have conviction in that area anymore. And what we say is, is that because it's something you didn't need to have conviction or is that because you've allowed a callus to develop in your heart? And I just want us to pray this, that God, would you give us greater conviction in the areas of our life? There are some things from your past, it was totally legalism. You need to let that go. Guess what? I don't care if you wear a suit or jeans on a Sunday. That's legalism, okay? But when it comes to righteousness as defined by God, that's not legalism. God, is there areas in my life, things that I am doing that I shouldn't be doing? Are there things I'm not doing that I should be doing? Why? Because that's what you call me to. That's the righteousness you desire me to live out. I'm gonna give us an opportunity to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes across the room. Holy Spirit, I'm asking right now that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? I I can't do this, Lord. I need your Holy Spirit to to take this message and to dig it into our hearts. God, I pray that you would shine a light in the areas of our life where maybe we've gotten off course in some way and you're just inviting us back. You're inviting us in in your loving way. You're inviting us back to walk in step with you, God, in step with your word and your desires for our lives. God, I pray that you would do that in our hearts, Lord. God, we don't wanna be those who have calluses and we're we're actually hurting ourselves and we don't even realize it because we're so callous, we don't even feel it anymore. God, again, in those relationships and the way that we respond to other people, the way we, that we operate with our, our stuff and our money, the way that we operate in, in, in any area of our lives. God, we don't want to become so callous to your ways that we miss out, Lord. So God, I pray that you would speak to us right now, Lord. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, I want to give you an opportunity. Some of you need to respond to Christ because your understanding of following Jesus has simply been up. Yep, I got a free gift and I'm just going to carry on with my life. But but you don't understand and you've never understood that there's an element of submission. Following Jesus, placing your faith requires belief lived out. It requires submitting your ways to his ways. And, And this morning, the gift of God is available to you, but it's only available through surrender. And so if you're here this morning with every head bow and every eye closed and you want to say, yes, I want to place my faith in Jesus. I want to surrender my life to Jesus and receive the gift of salvation. If that's you, would you lift a hand across the room and say, that's me. I want to respond to Christ this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Hands across the room. If there's others, I'm going to give a moment. I'm not going to rush you. Yeah. Yeah. It's the greatest decision 
Beginning a new journey is the greatest decision you could ever make. I feel like there might be one more. I'm going to give you a moment. If that's you, respond today. I'm going to invite the whole room. If you would just pray this prayer with me and repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for pursuing me. I admit that I'm a sinner and that I need a Savior. I believe in Jesus, his death and resurrection, and I commit my life to him. I confess him Lord of my life. Help me to live every day for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you all to stand with me across the room. There were a number of you who, who made a decision to follow Christ, and I'm going to, I've got something for you in a moment, so stick with me. Do not run out the door here. But I want to give all the rest of us an opportunity to respond right now, okay? And I'm going to give you 30 to 60 seconds, and I want you to pray right now. Holy Spirit, is there an area where you want to grow conviction in my heart? Is there an area where I have developed a callus? of either something I shouldn't be doing or something you are calling me to engage in. And I've gotten callous to that. I've said no so many times I don't feel it anymore. Rather than accepting that, saying, well, that's just how it is, I'm gonna challenge you to begin to pray, God, would you grow my conviction in that area that I would pursue righteousness? I'm gonna give you about 30 to 60 seconds. Have a moment on your own with God. Allow him to speak to your hearts. I'm going to just have us sing this song out. Can you make this your prayer here right now? Say, Lord, I give you my heart. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, moment I'm I give, Lord, I give, Lord, we give it all to you, I give you my soul, I live for you alone, every breath that I take, moment I'm Spirit, we give you free reign this week to bring greater conviction to our hearts. And Lord, I pray that we would have the, the willingness to ask the question, what have you said? And the courage to live accordingly. Lord, I pray this week we wouldn't pursue righteousness out of some religious duty, but in response 
to the gift of grace that you have given to us. God, I pray this week, greater than even the songs we sang today, God, I pray would be the fragrance of our lives lived in honor of you. God, that we would pursue righteousness for your glory because you deserve it, God. You deserve it, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And I'm gonna invite our prayer team forward. If you're here this morning, you, need, you still want somebody to pray with you to minister, we've got a team here that's ready to do that. Otherwise, we encourage you to go out there. Have a great week. Let's live this thing. Let's pursue righteousness this week for the glory of God. Have a great week, guys. We love you.